Welcome to the Cream of the Crop podcast. Today we have Dr. Kevin Folka. Welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. This is a really great invite. I'm excited. And we also have Mr. Steve Maxwell, the owner of Highland Ag Solutions, is joining me on here today. Um, so we're going to go ahead and get started. I was going to introduce you with a line of maybe like a title, but everything I can find, there's so many different ones. So if you'll just give us a brief explanation of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm a scientist. I'm a research scientist at the University of Florida. Uh, my research is my major career. Um, I've had other careers in leadership at the university before, but right now I'm focused strictly on research and teaching. And my research is in how light is used to control the way traits uh, perform in crop plants. And we also work with genomics. So we study all the DNA in a plant to understand the genes associated with flavors and aromas in small fruits. And new work in the lab is identifying small disruptive molecules that can solve problems from everything from uh, maybe new herbicides to things like coronavirus. So we're doing a lot of interesting things. Wow. So it definitely sounds like you're all over the place with what you're doing and research. Um, sounds like it's never a dull moment though, for sure. <laughs> well, that's true. And, but that's the nice part is keeping it diverse. And with the current funding situation, the way it goes, being diverse really helps you apply to more programs for support of your research. And on top of all that, I do a lot of work with public outreach, public education, particularly in um, helping uh, farmers and industry folks, academics, speak to the public more clearly about how science works and current contentious issues. So that takes a huge amount of time too, but all of it is a lot of fun. You just hit something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I saw a little bit about some outreach things that you do, but um, you just said that you help growers talk to the public about science, uh, which really interests me because, you know, we work, we are a technology and ag company. We work with growers all the time. Um, and I think that's something that we definitely want to help them do. So all of our listeners listen to this podcast and most of them are growers and they are listening and saying, what can I take away from this? What can I get out of this? So tell us about that outreach and what you kind of do with growers. Well, the big one for me is usually with uh, large scale agronomic crop growers up north who are facing public pushback about growing bioengineered uh, uh, canola or, uh, or corn or whatever, um, a lot in Canada. And a lot of folks want to know more about the technology and, you know, what is it? How does it work? And, and that's fair. But really what you want to do is why is it important? And why is it that no matter who you are, whether you're someone who is, uh, you know, average public citizen who knows nothing about the science or whether you're a farmer or a scientist like me, what are the common things that we all care about? And what are, why are the technologies that we choose compatible with all of those uh, common values. And that's what we always miss. We're always, you know, farmers and scientists are a lot alike. We're very obsessed with how and what, and we really need to start with why. So do you see that driven, like who is driving that wanting to know why? Is that driven by farmers, scientists, consumers? Like who's driving that? Well, consumers are, are concerned about technology and it doesn't matter whether it's genetics or whether it's, uh, you know, new chemistries or whatever. Any kind of innovation is looked at uh, very skeptically. And that's good. You know, we mm -hmm. should be, you know, look at, look at all of the concern around things like uh, a SARS-CoV-2, so the coronavirus vaccine. Um, people are looking at any new technology as something that maybe they have to be 
careful with, and that's that's healthy. The problem is is that as scientists, we tend to cr fix that problem by giving people data, showing a graph. Um, <laughs> here's some more data. Farmers do the same thing. Uh, here are the facts. Here's just the evidence. And you know what? Facts don't change people's minds. What changes somebody's mm -hmm. mind that's is good. well, it, when they what changes somebody's mind is I'm hearing from an expert who cares about the same issues they do. And I think, you know, farmers are concerned about the environment. They're concerned about healthy products, concerned about public health, just like scientists. And that's what they care about. It's much more important. So when, when you walk alongside these farmers to help them do this, what does that look like? I'm, I mean, you just said that farmers and scientists have pretty a very similar mindset of proving that what we're doing is the best thing that we can be doing and that we do care about the public and we care about consumers. Um, and the driving force is the same, but how do you kind of coach them to educate other people without just presenting the numbers? Yeah, well, what I, what I always teach people is uh, listen first and understand that people's concerns are their valid concerns and that these are, you know, in their heart, this is what they feel. And no matter how silly it may seem to us, it's their genuine concern. And so once we have that, how do we identify the common places where we're all where we all stand together and rather than you know burying them in information and data um, finding those common areas of concern you know you're concerned about the technology we're using because you're concerned about the environment or your family's health or whatever um, me too you know let, and let's start from those areas and how the technologies we're presenting are completely compatible with our common interests it's about building trust and once we can build trust, um, then scientific information can follow. But we, we always skip that first really important part of creating that personal connection. Kevin, this is Steve. I, I know you've been at this battle a long time and my hat's off to you uh, for all you've done. It, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but I, 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 I've been involved in the ag industry for 30 plus years. Growers are always interested in, in, in better ways, more production, uh, it's an easier audience uh, from my perspective. Uh, it seems to me the consumer is the one who really has the power and a lot of times does not have the uh, correct information, but yet they drive the, the, they drive the sales at retail. They drive the, what the, what the in distri distribution people uh, want in the stores. So is that correct? Number one. And number two, how, how do you capture the mind of that consumer to make sure they've got the right information, strip the emotion out so that they can make good decisions? Well, you just said it right there. You know, so much of it is emotionally driven and we're talking uh, facts and figures, right? Yeah. And, and so what, what we're up against as farmers and as uh, scientists is that we are up against marketing. We're up against, uh, uh, activists, you know, we're up against other forces that are working in working from emotion that, you know, if you're not feeding your family this, then you're poisoning them. You know, people will say these kinds of things. Um, you know, there's this uh, chemical in your food that if you can't pronounce is dangerous, you know, don't eat it. That's the kind of nonsense that we're up against. And the, the hard thing for us, and, and well, there's two sides of this. One is, the, the, the thing that's tough is that we don't participate in those conversations in general. Scientists and farmers both, again, share the idea that this is somebody else's problem. Um, I'm not going to get into social media and correct somebody or go into that 
uh, comment section of the New York Times article that was completely wrong and corrected. That's not my job. That's somebody else's job. And we have to accept that it is part of our job. That if we're going to correct this narrative, we need to be telling our story because somebody else is telling yeah. it for us. I know that it's something that all of us can go on the internet and see that you're a controversial person. You know, there's definitely <laughs> people that agree with you wholeheartedly and disagree with you wholeheartedly. And that's an obvious fact, right? Um, tell us why that has been that way for you. Like throughout the scientific journey, um, why has it been so controversial? Because I have been voracious at defending the truth around food security. And that's something that I, I, I will not let misinformation stand or disinformation stand. Um, I will uh, take it on and I do every single time. And although I do it in a way that's uh, polite and courteous and I'm always respectful to not be difficult. I'm winning the people who are watching, not necessarily the yeah. people who are disagreeing. Um, that it, it means that it, when you see yourself being maligned in uh, social media or in the internet web pages, when you see that you know folks are are dragging you through the mud, what it really means is that you're doing a good job. That's right. And and <laughs> which <laughs> which but it is it, it totally. I think there's no stronger correlation to a job well done than dissent. And so when I look back at what you know, if you Google images me or go online and punch my name in, the first thing that comes up is that you can't believe a word I say. Um, and it's because there are people who have a full-time job at dismissing the work that we're doing yep. as scientists and farmers. That's why it's so important for everybody to be involved because they can't do it to all of us. <laughs> you know, yep. uh, you yeah. know, if I, if I stick my face in the fan, it's going to hurt, but if we all do it, the fan stops. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Kevin. Uh, so there's nothing like a good story to uh, dispel a lot of these things. Can you think of a great, uh, what's a great example of uh, maybe uh, where the public came out against something very strongly, but it turned out they were wrong and, and the science was right and, and it was a great success story. You know, the, 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 the history books are full of those examples. Um, refrigeration was fought tooth and nail. Um, you know, I, I can remember, I'm old enough to remember when in vitro fertilization yes. was a horrible controversy and, and, a, and a, you know, an anathema to everything we stood for, you know, playing God and all this stuff, when now it's a way that people can have families. You know? yeah, yeah. And, you know, couples who are having trouble conceiving can. Um, yeah. That's probably one of the best examples i'm a living example of that i've got grandchildren three that were thank god for the science uh yeah. that are beautiful children today so that's a great um, example that's something too that um i think we see a lot about genetic modification um and the things that the public is pushing back on but the successes of them um into something like in vitro to now this it's the example i mean it's a different example but it's the same story right you know, it's terrifying. It's scary. We're playing with science and there's so many different opinions in that, but sticking through and seeing the information come out on the other side that this is helping is something that's really commendable for the people that, like you said, stick their head in the fan over and over again, because it's not everyone that's going to stand up and say that this is okay, right? Not everyone at the grocery store is going to be like, yeah, genetically modified, thumbs up, do it. That's unfortunately not the society we live in. Um, so tell us how it's been to fight that battle just with like genetic modification. I know that's just a little bit of what you do, 
But tell us what that's been like as far as working with science, working with farmers, and working with the public, all to maintain this one idea of science working. Well, it, it, for me, it starts very early because I was 10 years old when I started studying recombinant DNA. It was right when they were <laughs> wow. talking, I know, how cool. Um, they were talking <laughs> about using DNA in, from humans and bacteria to make insulin. And this seemed like such a cool idea. Could you actually you know, move genes around and this kind of thing? And I understood that as a kid, and I thought that was really neat. And uh, as time went on, we just saw the successes over and over again of how genetic engineering has done very positive things for medicine and for agriculture. And uh, over time, I've just been so excited about the good things that we can do with it that it's been fun to share that information with the public that's concerned. And not saying, not coming at them by saying, you know, let me show you pictures. And I actually, I did fail for years drawing pictures of molecules and things like that on the board and then trying mm -hmm. to convince people it doesn't work. But by talking about the really beautiful parts of, um, of how we can have better environmental impact, how we can feed the food insecure around the world and in this nation, how we can help farmers stay in business and protect their bottom line and enhance their bottom line. Those are the things I care about the most. And um, when we start from that platform, it's very easy to convince somebody that what you're doing is good. What so it's kind of the angle you're coming from. Yeah. Go ahead, Steve. I was going to ask, as you look into the future, you've been at this a while. Uh, there's always new things on the horizon, new things you're working with. What exciting uh, things do you see coming in the next three to five years that are going to make a huge impact yeah. uh, uh, for, for the consumer? Well, they're happening now. I think the idea of gene editing is a massive one. Um, this is a new technology that sometimes we hear of referred to as CRISPR-Cas9. Um, this is a technology that makes you, uh, gives you the ability to make very precise changes in an or in organism's DNA. So, for instance, in, if, in a human, you have the ability to change you know, all the letters of your genetic code, the A's, G's, C's, and T's, 3.6 billion of them. Um, you can change one. And this is like changing one second in 100 years. It's that precise. The beautiful part about that is that today there is a woman alive named Victoria Gray who previously had sickle cell disease who doesn't anymore. She's the first person to be cured of sickle cell anemia. And this technology is so powerful. Um, it'll, it'll touch people uh, with cures for cancer and cures for certain cancers. Wow. Um, uh, sickle cell disease, many other uh, blood cancers right away. They're happening now. But in agriculture, um, disease-resistant crops that'll have genetic resistance. And it's not old-school GMOs where you're putting in a whole new gene cassette for resistance. You're changing a base or two to eliminate the function of mm -hmm. something that the disease needed to infect the plant. Really cool technology, super precise. And you'll see the benefits of that now. Wow. Are you working with any like current, which I'm just baffled at that. I, I guess I've been living under a rock to know that that is happening and that's amazing. And I love science and I can like nerd out about it. Um, but are you seeing any of this gene editing? And you said in ag, it's helping with disease resistance. Is there any of that going on? I mean, I know the first thing that comes to my mind, obviously, is citrus screening in the citrus industry in Florida. But is there any of that happening right now that you could shed light on for us? 
Yeah, it would be cool to shed light as I move in and out of the. <laughs> I'm trying to shed light on me. Um, the the uh, <laughs> um, the citrus industry. There's some folks working at the University of Florida on gene editing to potentially limit citrus greening disease with some uh, potential okay. results. The big ones that are currently on the market are gene editing in soybeans to change the oil composition. So to make oil which has a different characteristic, making it more durable for industrial application in food service. So instead of oil lasting a, uh, you know, a week or so in a fryer, it can last three weeks, which is better yeah. because it, la it, it's, it doesn't go rancid. Okay, that's, that's the big thing. Um, it's much more stable as an oil, as a, as a uh, culinary oil. Um, that was a gene editing event that was done by a company called Calixt in Minnesota. Um, that's been on the market now for um, maybe a year um, that farmers have been able to grow that seed uh, at a premium. Um, but tons of other applications are on the way from non-browning fruits and vegetables, uh, maybe guacamole that an avocado, um, they'll make guacamole. Thank God. Oh, Thank I know. God. It's the holy grail in my book. <laughs> you know, sickle cell disease is okay. You know, non-browning avocado. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of innovations like that that will not just address food security from being able to grow things that are maybe more nutritious or disease resistance, but also last longer and have less food waste. So, Kevin, uh, I had a group in a few weeks ago that are doing similar work and it's almost like back to the future where they're doing a lot of work with the soil itself for specialty crops, you know, the, yeah. the turnover crops. Uh, and they're using DNA to, to identify the soil, what's missing in the soil. Uh, but are you working in, in that arena at all? Or do you know people that are? Oh, there's plenty of people in that space. What they're trying to identify are what are, back, what are microbial communities mm -hmm. which tend to uh, support plant growth better. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a give and, change, give and take that happens in the, in the, in the rhizosphere, in the, in the area around roots where different microbes have the ability to synthesize rare compounds that affect plants or fix nitrogen or, uh, you know, you name it. There's a bunch of different symbiotic relationships that occur. And as we understand these better, we may be able to test the soil type, assess who's there, who's not there, and then be able to supplement the soil to rebuild it with the critters that help support the plant life. And that's exactly what these guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a hot area. So you see this, I mean, obviously this is going to change the game for the industry, right? I hope so. Um, I, I, I'm all for, you know, my, my wife is a farmer, so she's a small farmer and I see what she goes through here. And uh, we, you know, certainly anything that can help the broader industry um, be more competitive is fantastic. Um, I would see the effects here at home. So a little, little something in there for me too, but the, uh, you know, the farming and uh, agricultural productivity, it's kind of the last thing we make here in this country, last thing we manufacture, and we're really good at it. And farmers being such a small population, um, percentage of our population, I think we have to get every technology on board to support what they do. And we're seeing more of it happen from microbes and genetics and improved crop genetics to automation, robotics. You know, I don't have to tell you guys, you know, the, the stuff that's happening in precision ag. Um, I think it's a really optimistic future because breakthroughs are going to be coming fast and furious. That's encouraging for us to hear um, because obviously not only just food security being an issue, but imports and I mean every week the list could go on about the struggles that these guys face every day 
So just having that insight of knowing what's coming down the pipeline that potentially these growers and our, I mean, most of the people around us down here are specialty crop growers and mm-hmm. what they face and having these tools to help change the game, like literally change it completely for them, that they're not, they're not losing money. And you said it once and I'll say it again, that they're making money at the end of their seasons. And that's the goal for them, that they're not out um, un- going under because they're trying to feed the world. Uh, so that's definitely some good insight to shed on what's coming down the pipeline. Steve, did you have something to add there? Yeah, I was just going to, uh, one last uh, comment. I, I noticed uh, in the chemical industry, which is a large, I mean, trillion dollar industry globally, uh, I, I've noticed a lot of their investments now uh, are gearing away from the traditional chemistry and more toward the natural uh, remedies. Uh, and I'm not real sure if it's due to the pressure of the public or they, they just see such a large investment they have to make and they can't, it's very difficult to get that return on investment with traditional chemistry these days, as you well know, it's a, it's a very lawsuit happy world that they're in. But I have noticed that their, their applications for new uh, AIs, we call them, uh, uh, are, 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 are being, are shrinking, but their investment dollars are moving more toward a natural uh, a fix for a certain issue. Are you seeing that? And is that, is that something that, uh, do you see a day coming where the actual chemistry side of it is, is minimized compared to where we are today? Well, I think that's one arm of it, right? That um, biology has come up with funny ways to enhance and defeat biology. I mean, our antibiotics came from a fungus, you know, on, on, a, on a plate that, uh, uh, you, know, the, you know, that Pasteur happened to find, you know. So uh, biology makes compounds that are useful. And uh, I think that we've been able to explore deeper as we've been able to understand what they call metabolomics. Um, look at organisms and all of their metabolites and identify very interesting compounds in plants or in biology in general, bacteria, that can have good effects in agriculture. Um, You know, Bt is a great example. I mean, here's something that's used on organic farms that came from a bacterium that inhibits, uh, you know, the uh, uh, different caterpillars and insect larvae uh, feeding. Um, There's probably a jillion more compounds like that out there. And it's just a question of having the time and scope to look at it. But at the same time, I'm looking to other technologies that are completely different where you're going fully synthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you identify new synthetic molecules that can do the job you need to do for agriculture, but have less impact on either health or environment. And I think you're going to find with time that we get another magic bullet um, like a glyphosate, you know, something that does have a um, very discrete mechanism of action with few collateral effects that, that believe it or not, is uh, relatively low toxicity and also very minimal environmental impact. There's more stuff out there like that. Yep. That's definitely interesting. That's something that I didn't even think about um, asking. So that's definitely a great question to, to throw into the mix. Um, just to kind of wrap it up, I mean, we're running out of time, which I hate because I love this stuff and it's so interesting. Um, what has been your favorite part of 2020? And I'm asking this question because 2020 has been such a year. Um, and I know that it's probably been a different year for you as well. Things are probably going differently than they have in the past um, with what you're doing in your line of work. So what's been your favorite part of this year so far in this industry? Yeah, what's been my favorite part has been having to re um, has been the ability to reach more people 
with the scientific messages and the messages in communication. Uh, and it never would have happened otherwise. I was going to conferences left and right and speaking at conferences all over the world. And the university really tailed back my ability to do that. They wanted me more on site. And it really was, it really was a stake through my heart because while I love the science and love what I do and love teaching, I really am, uh, I think my best way to do something for agriculture is in that communication space and serving as an advocate for, for agriculture and teaching others to be advocates for agriculture. I kind of got a wet blanket on that at the end of last year, but this year with all of these kind of virtual conferences, the invitations have been one after another. And I've been able to speak in Kazakhstan at eight in the morning or six in the morning, it was their afternoon. Uh, I was able to speak at Kazakhstan in the morning. Um, then I was able to speak in Georgia at lunchtime and speak in Calgary at dinner time. <laughs> so, and, and, so you're doing more. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm doing more speaking. I don't just don't get as many of those little shampoo bottles and frequent flyer miles. Um, but the beauty of it is, is that we're able to enhance the messaging due to the circumstances. Yeah. And the other beautiful part is I've had more time, concentrated time, um, to mess with my schedule. So I'm not just in my office from, you know, from, eight to seven every day. I'm in the office whenever I can get over there and I'm able to take on a concentrated project at home um, that I never would be able to do before. So doing some grafting or building a structure or running some new irrigation, able to really spend some time to make uh, the home situation a little more uh, prolific. So that's good too. So that was the silver lining of 2020. I think that's important that we all find that at the end of this year at some point. Um, I just want to thank you so much for hopping on. I know it was quick, but just something that um, you really provide a unique perspective to what's going on in the industry and, and definitely a scientific perspective, which is something that we really need because it is the base of what we do. It's, it's all science. Um, so I just want to say thank you. I know, Steve, that he's very thankful that you hopped nice, on Kevin. here. And if you understand. Great to see thinking. you and glad you're doing well. Yeah, nice to see you too, Steve. That's yep. great. Can I, can I plug my podcast? <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah so, go ahead. so uh sure. so however you want to yeah. well I, I do two a week i do one called talking biotech which is uh has 1.4 million downloads in six years now and uh we do have uh, a lot of farmers on with their concerns and issues that are happening in farming um around water and other issues that occasionally but a lot on technology and new products that are coming um i also do one called science facts and fallacies uh with a journalist where we kick around some of the recent science stories and those both of those are pretty cool and okay, mention um, those again say, say them again slow yeah talking biotech okay and science facts and fallacies so two different yeah. ones and uh i urge you to um you know uh you know connect through social media and um let me share your work you know write a story let me uh, help you find an audience okay. um you know be part of that conversation and you know anybody who's listening um you know let me help you connect uh, with the public and let me share your thoughts um you're the authentic person who who has the best story um, you're the one we need to hear from. And, you know, please let me be a conduit to help you do that. Very good. That's awesome. That's definitely Thanks. what we need at the end of this is a way to get tangible help um, from you. And we'll definitely send us that and we'll put it in the post too, that they yeah. can follow you there. Um, thank you so much. So it was Merry really Christmas good to meet you. you. As well. Have a great holiday season. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Really. It was a pleasure to see you. I hopefully get down to Mulberry someday. Do Come they on. have mulberries down there? Yeah. Yeah. They actually um, have used to. I think we find a tree every now and then. Yeah. I grow them up here. I always wonder. I got to get down to Mulberry and see if I can score some germplasm. Okay. Right. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you very much. We'll see thank you. you. All right. Bye. Good Bye. to meet you. Bye-bye.